Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Wednesday, September 29th. We begin with a look at the troubling trend in healthcare: ADHD going undiagnosed or being misdiagnosed in women and girls. We speak with the Director of Education and Advocacy for the Center for ADHD Awareness for some clarity on why this gender imbalance is happening in Canada. Racism. It's an ongoing issue in this city and a timely topic with Calgary's civic election now just a few weeks away. We speak with Imran Bukhari, board member of the Alberta government's Anti-Racism Advisory Council, on what more needs to be done in our city to address the issue. It's a chance to win big and at the same time help find a forever home for pets in need. We get details on the Alberta Animal Rescue Crew Society's upcoming fall lottery. And finally, Halloween isn't just for the kids anymore. Halloween means big business for retailers as well. Our Dave McIver crunches the numbers with a look at the billion-dollar business of Halloween in Canada. 46% of Canadian women suffering from ADHD are misdiagnosed, and that can have serious impacts on their lives. Joining us to talk about the findings of a recent survey by the Centre for ADHD Awareness is the Director of Education and Advocacy for the national charity CADDAC, Heidi Bernhardt. Good morning to you, Heidi. Thanks so much for joining us. Good morning. My pleasure. So uh, what is the issue then with correctly diagnosing girls and women with ADHD? Is it more difficult than finding it in in males? No, uh, the problem is we don't have the proper training for medical professionals yet and the proper awareness because girls and women present differently than boys. So the type of ADHD that most people think about with, you know, hyperactive little boys running Mm -hmm. around a classroom, not paying attention, being disruptive, that's not girls most of the time. So again, you know, we talk in generalities, but more often the girls are the quiet ones at the back of the classroom who are daydreamy, who just can't pay attention, but they're not noisy and disruptive. So they're not the ones that get picked up. And more often also when they aren't diagnosed in later uh, in their life, they end up with anxiety and depression. So we know uh, family physicians are very well trained in anxiety and depression and some of the symptoms uh, look very much like that. So unless they're also doing a screening for ADHD, they miss it. And then these women are diagnosed with depression, unsuccessfully treated sometimes for decades because their underlying ADHD is never diagnosed. So, you know, I I know that often, Heidi, we talk about uh, being our own health advocates, and you mentioned, uh, you know, within your explanation of girls and women. So uh, as a parent of of a girl at home, what sorts of signs should we look for uh, to perhaps think that ADHD might be in the mix? Yeah, so, you know, If your daughter is struggling with um, just getting her work done, staying focused, or if she's spending hours every evening doing homework, um, you know, to stay up with her her peers, catch up, get her work done, we know that girls more so than boys are very, very conscious of looking competent and not sticking out from her classmates. So she will spend a lot of time trying to appear competent, 
um, fit in with the other girls, but it takes a significant toll on their mental well-being. So if they're struggling getting things done, even at home, you know, keeping things organized, being on time for things, these are all sort of red flags. And I'd suggest anybody who is thinking about it, go to the CADAC website, just Google C-A-D-D-A-C. We have a huge amount of information on the website and a, a conference coming up in uh, a couple of weeks. So Heidi, then, you know, is is the focus, you know, with this being ADHD Awareness Month, is the focus then on, on trying to get healthcare providers, whether it's doctors, psychologists, etc., to, to be able to see and understand better what it looks like in women, if it is such a different, you know, way it presents than for males? Very much so. So we're asking for two things. We're asking for governments to invest more money to build awareness on um, women in ADHD, to make sure all mental health clinics, uh, family physicians are trained in this. And we're also asking medical professionals to make sure in medical school and conferences, etc., this becomes a focus because we know the fallout is huge. A recent study has said one in four women with ADHD have attempted suicide. So these are serious numbers. That is, when you put it in those uh, terms, Heidi, that is very serious. So if, we, if we've had a diagnosis and we get somebody into the system, what does a treatment look like for somebody with ADHD? So, yeah, we have some great treatments, and we always say they should be multimodal. So medication is always an option. It's not a must. It's a preference, um, We although we do know it is very um, successful in treating ADHD. We have things like coaching and cognitive behavior therapy, mindfulness, all kinds of things that should come part and parcel. But first, what we want to do is educate the adult with ADHD as to what it is, how it impacts her life, and strategies to assist themselves in daily functioning. Heidi, what is it? I mean, maybe that's too broad of a question, but is it a genetic thing, ADHD, or is it something that you can uh, get later in life, or how does it work in, within the, you know, the brain within the body? Yeah, so it's a neurodevelopmental disorder similar to autism or learning disabilities, and yes, it is very highly genetic. Uh, on the scale, it's around 75-77%. So you know if you have tall parents, the chance you're going to have tall kids, well, it's at that same level mm. of heritability. So how common is it in Canada? How much of an issue is this? And is it growing or remaining the same? Well, no, actually, you know, despite... Some of the stuff we hear in the media, um, we've had some good large-scale studies that shows it's actually staying pretty consistent. Um, we look at kind of 5 to 9% of children and about 4% of adults, but that's also because we're still missing some of the adult ADHD. But surprisingly also, we know we're missing the girls because in adulthood, we're diagnosing almost as many women as men. It's closer to 50-50 since it's hereditary and we're still diagnosing three to one boys to girls, we're missing those girls with devastating effects because we know the longer ADHD goes undiagnosed, 
the more coexisting mental health disorders we have, the more school dropout, the more incident in the justice system, more substance abuse. The fallout of not treating ADHD is huge. So we need to diagnose early and put in those treatments. Talk to us again, uh, just the, the website, Heidi. Was it, we just go to C-A-D-D-A-C? That's perfect. Just Online, Google, okay. Just Google that and the website will come up. C-A-D-D-A-C dot C-A. Thank you. I, I, okay. I've learned something new already this morning. I, I didn't realize it was such an issue and it's something that we really need to pay attention to. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks so much for your interest. Appreciate it. That is Heidi Bernhardt, who is Director of Education and Advocacy at the Centre for ADHD Awareness here in Canada. And again, just tell you, C-A-D-D-A-C dot C-A. There are many things that divide people, but race should not be one of them. As Calgarians get ready to elect a new mayor and city council, we're taking a look at how to combat racism in the city. Joining us to discuss how to tackle this issue is Iman Bakari, founder and CEO of Canadian Cultural Mosaic Foundation and board member of the Alberta government's Anti-Racism Advisory Council. Good morning to you, Iman. Hi. How are you doing this morning? I'm all right. How are you? Good, good. As founder and CEO of Canadian Cultural Mosaic Foundation... Uh, what does your group believe needs to be done to curb racism, to curb this issue in Calgary? Honestly, in the city of Calgary, it seems that the bigger problem has actually been intent. And it's rather been focused on performity, like performance, not really real change. Um, many in council can't even acknowledge racism nor Indigenous genocide. Um, and they just go in circles, wasting everybody's time. Like the various meetings we've had uh, since the last year and a half or, or less have, have just been going in circles and we need less talk and more actual work. We've heard from hundreds of Calgarians over several days. We need to move on and create some change and the solution can't be a one-time fix but rather a sustained investment in the work of achieving equity. Okay, so racial... Sorry, go ahead, sorry. finish. Sorry. Um, really, racial tension is not like born solely from crisis level events and that's what it seems like people focus on. So less talk, more action is what you're saying, Iman. What, what would you like to see happen right now? What do we need to do and, and do it pretty immediately? It'd be awesome to see some council members changing government structures and practices, um, you know, for, for better service, for more equitable outcomes. And this could be done easily through speaking openly about how current systems actually perpetuate poverty. Uh, it'd be great for them to use data and evidence to drive systems change and represent that more equitable community, uh, perhaps you know, integrate some sort of a racial equity tool into budget decisions. And that's what I mean by being intentful. So when we're planning capital infrastructure projects, for example, can we actually look at the impacts of those projects on specific populations, whether it's, you know, people of color, the BIPOC community, or even low income or other communities? Let's use the data um, and then make sure we make decisions based off of that. And, and that means reviewing, you know, the city's revenue sources and expenditures to identify, you know, where they play a role in creating and sustaining disparities. Uh, but I know that's not how governments usually work, and that seems to be the bigger problem. Iman, uh, you know, this is not a Calgary-specific nor Alberta-specific issue. This is, you know, something that happens across the nation and perhaps uh, to a large extent uh, around the world. So I'm wondering, are there other examples of municipalities that we can look to? Uh, that are, are getting things right, in your opinion? 
Yeah, definitely. I think if you want to look at Canada, City of Toronto is doing a lot of work around anti-black racism. Uh, but a, a, an even better example, I would say, is City of Boston. Uh, they've been looking at a lot of, uh, for example, when we're talking about budgets and whatnot, they've been looking at fines, for example, you know, fiscal area of fines. And, uh, you know, they might generate revenue for the city, but they often do so at a disproportionate and inequitable cost. So instead of, you know, punishing people and levying penalties, they're actually considering households and bringing them households and businesses into compliance through targeted outreach and other means. So we're not focusing on people being the problem and punishing them as some people do to children, but rather understanding the bigger issue and creating education. And they've created a lot of different other programs that I think the City of Calgary as well as various other municipalities and governments can look at. Iman, should we, before we let you go, just want to ask this quickly, should we be looking to our municipal leaders, those who are running in the next municipal election, to, to talk more about racism and what they're going to do then? Absolutely. Hardly anyone who's running has even spoken about this issue, which is rather ironic uh, because, you know, a year and a half ago, this was everybody's like, oh, this is a terrible thing. And again, that performance and even tomorrow being the Truth and Reconciliation Day, we're going to see a lot of, you know, performance. We're going to see tweets and Facebook messages and whatnot talking about the importance. But what do words mean if they don't come with action? Good point. Thank you so much for your time this morning, Iman. We appreciate it. Thank you. That's Iman Bukhari, founder and CEO of Canadian Cultural Mosaic Foundation and board member of the Alberta government's Anti-Racism Advisory Council. The Alberta Animal Rescue Crew Society, better known as ARCS, is a grassroots animal welfare organization, of course, based here in Alberta. Their goal is to help homeless animals in our community. With more on how you can get involved and to find out about their upcoming lottery, we're joined this morning by Deanna Thompson, Executive Director of ARCS. Good morning, Deanna. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for joining us. How has the pandemic affected ARCS and, and the things that you do for the community and the animals? You know, um, we've been really busy throughout the last uh, 19 months. We were able to keep our doors open uh, through this whole time. We're so grateful to the support of the community, our staff, and our volunteers. So uh, we've been able to continue to, to rescue and rehome thousands of animals. Um, it has been a bit different, though. Of course, like everybody, we've had to adjust, um, especially on the fundraising side. So sadly, September, we always do our annual jail and bail event, which was canceled uh, for a second year in a row. That one's always so much fun where we can um, bring the public into the shelter and have a big festival outside. Unfortunately, we couldn't do that uh, this year. Just before we get to details on the lottery, a chance to give back and maybe a chance to win. Uh, let's talk about how many uh, pets are looking for new homes right now. What What is it like as far as the supply? You know, it's really, uh, it's busy, especially with cats this time of year. Um, usually from March through to November, we see the highest number of cats. So we have over 350 cats in care. Now, not all of them are up for adoption quite yet. Uh, lots of kittens still with their moms in, in foster care, uh, animals that are waiting to get medical done, that sort of thing. We actually also have a large number of dogs. We have over 200 dogs in care. Um, Again, the, not all of them quite ready for adoption. Some of them um, are still working through behavior or medical uh, needs at this point, but there's still, you know, quite a few that are ready for adoption. And 
Uh, although we saw a huge increase in um, adoptions in the first part of the pandemic, um, it has slowed down a bit, especially on the dog side. So we're just not seeing as many people come forward uh, looking to adopt dogs. Deanna, raising attention and raising funds. Tell us about your fall lottery and how we can get involved. Yeah, so uh, because we couldn't do all of these fundraising events, we hosted a lottery last year. It was successful and sold out uh, actually on the last day. So we're doing it again this year. Um, we have $70,000 in prizes, so a $50,000 grand prize uh, and 10 $1,000 prizes. So we're about 60% sold. We're really hoping that the public will come forward and um, purchase a ticket so that we can sell out and uh, ultimately be able to help more animals. Um we have ticket packs, uh, so one for $25 or three for 65 The five for 10 did sell out, so um, that's great. So, but we still have some options for discounted tickets, uh, and tickets will stay on sale until November 1st. Do we go to um, ARCS, A-A-R-C-S dot C-A to get our tickets, Deanna? That's right, yep. Perfect. Good stuff. Thanks for telling us about it, and uh, good for you with all you do. We appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much. Deanna Thompson, Executive Director, the Alberta Animal Rescue Crew Society online, aarcs.ca. Well, Halloween has sure evolved over the past few decades from just, you know, a daily event to something that Canadians now love to celebrate pretty much all month long. Dave McIver found out why and how local businesses can capitalize on the big bucks we're spending. Ah, yes, Halloween, that time of year again. A night that has very much grown into a month of festivities with pop-up costume shops, Halloween-themed bars and parties, blow-up decorations at every third house, and a quarter of our grocery stores now dedicated to candy, pumpkins, decorations, and more. It's certainly different from when I was a kid. Halloween has become big business in North America, and Canadians are spending over a billion dollars a year on the spooky event. So how do we get here? I mean, I must have worn the same Ninja Turtles. Wise man say, forgiveness is divine, but never pay full price for late pizza. And Batman. I'm Batman. Costumes over the span of seven years. And if it wasn't that, I just threw on my hockey gear and I was set. I was a hockey player. Faisal Carmali with the Popwitch Carmali Advisory Group, CIBC Wood Gundy, and the host of the Carmali Exchange podcast explains what's changed over the last few decades. Yeah, I think whoever was in charge of the PR on Halloween has done a great job overall because if you look at how it's evolved over the decades and how many more people are are getting involved or jumping on the bandwagon it's not just we're talking about kids and then you and i dressing up in our hockey gear saying look i'm i'm dressed up for halloween it's now pets adults seniors homes we're talking everywhere they're getting involved in this type of uh of, of the shenanigans of Halloween. And it's not just candy giving, it's full out parties. And I, to, I can tell you, me personally, being a father of two young girls, I remember when they were younger, I would convert my entire garage to a haunted house just to have their friends over to have a good time. So people jump on this bandwagon. I think this is one of my favorite times of the year is Halloween. But if you look at all the other major uh, holidays that people celebrate, from Christmas all the way to Valentine's Day, uh, people are jumping on the opportunity to celebrate and, and, and express themselves. It's, it's consumer driven. And there's a little bit of a push and pull here. So part of the push is coming from, from big and small businesses saying, hey, you should jump on board. Your pet needs to be dressed up like Batman, just like you, or, or grandma needs to make sure she's got an outfit 
for Halloween. We got to include her as well. So that's the push from business and enterprise. Then the pull comes into, but what about me? What about my opportunity to celebrate in this type of a of an event? So you're getting the push and pull both from the customer and and the uh, the enterprise saying this is something we should jump on for sure. One thing that sticks out to me was that before Halloween had this big boom, there was only maybe a few costume shops, maybe a small part of the mall sectioned off for costumes, and maybe just a quarter of an aisle at the grocery store given for candy and pumpkins. So what businesses are now taking part that's made it look so different than in the past? I think the question that we should be asking is what enterprise is not part of, of Halloween now, because every single business, I think, has some sort of play towards it, either online or the old bricks and mortar. Think about now your drug mart, your local pharmacy is getting involved, your hardware store is getting involved, your pet store is getting involved, every single business is getting on. I think it's easier to say which companies are not getting involved. I haven't seen your local 7-Eleven, besides passing out candy or being a supplier of it, be involved as much, or maybe even some small flower shops are not really getting involved as much. But it's very hard to find a business out there that's not a part of this whole Halloween enterprise. There is obviously a ton of money being spent. So what can small local businesses do to get involved and grab a piece of the pumpkin pie? Yeah, I think if we start looking at small businesses and seeing who their customers are, when you look at the ones who are not focused on certain types of events or themes, they can jump on that bandwagon for sure. And let's look at the pet industry and how it's evolved over, over the last few decades. They were just suppliers of maybe just food or some toys and maybe a leash or some sort of collar, but then they've evolved to now costumes, they've got into treats, they've got into different pieces. So knowing who your customer base is and being more creative in there, hardware stores that's been i've talked about not only at the big ones like home depot but even a canadian brand like home hardware which are more outside of the urban areas have really jumped on the do-it-yourself ways of creating certain areas that they can they can be part of that that festivity they're getting involved of course your hobby shops are going to be all over it, or your costume shops but what about your flower shops what about a flower arrangement around that number one seller of, of halloween goods which is which is the good old pumpkin that can sell almost a billion dollars worth of, of pumpkins per year in this country and the United States, you can have a flower arrangement around that. So knowing your customer, adjusting around that and using this theme as a way to kind of push your main business by going around that theme will actually get more sales for you. So if you can this Halloween, shop local. I'm Dave McIver with Global News Radio, 770 CHQR. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.